G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. This episode, I had an awesome chat with the wickedly cool Kira Corrigan from New Zealand. Uh, Kira is a gym owner, she's a strength athlete, she's a social media influencer per se, uh, has an absolutely phenomenal backstory, has a lived experience with depression and some anxiety, and has channeled all of that through her lived experience to turn it into something absolutely amazing. She now runs a strength gym where she's able to have an influence over people who are in a similar situation and help them out. She is wise beyond her years. I cannot thank her enough for coming on and having a chat with me. Uh, And I hope that you guys get as much out of it as I did. Take it away, Kira. So, weightlifter, powerlifter, gym owner, mum, mental health advocate, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> I think there's plenty that I can't do, but yeah, my interests and passions and job description um, is pretty diverse. So I think, so I, I first came across you, oh, I would have been, this is online, uh, t- whenever it was that you were competing at Oceanus. The Oceanus? Yeah. yeah, so about 2016. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, would have been about then because I had a, a couple of people that I was coaching that were competing in the same comp and I'm like, oh, okay, I'd never had seen you online and never come across you. I'm like, dude, this chick's strong. Uh, and then followed your, I think it was mainly Instagram pretty much yeah. then, uh, followed your account and over the years I've seen you post a lot of stuff that really sort of hooked me in around mental health advocacy um, mental health is where I've spent my whole career pretty much working as an occupational therapist. So it definitely spoke to me. Um, what's your experience within mental health? We'll get to the advocacy stuff, but where, where does your experience with mental health, where does that stem from? Um, it's quite, quite the long journey, I suppose. Um, I was first diagnosed with depression at 13. Um, and the year after that, a friend of mine committed suicide, um, which was followed by a suicide attempt of my own. Um, so I spent a really long time after that, one, not really knowing who I was. So it was a bit of an identity thing. Um, but also grasping with a brain that didn't quite work the way that I needed it to work. So I was very, I was very lucky from a young age that I was quite aware of what was going on, but that didn't necessarily give me the tools from the get go. So I knew that I would have these crashing lows. Um, and then on the flip side, I would have, um, pretty intense highs and, and things like that. So I'm a, I, I definitely edge a little bit closer towards that manic depressive, um, side of the spectrum. Um, so I spent, yeah, a, quite a long time um, throughout my teenage years, knowing knowing that I'd had um, this trauma paired with the diagnosed mental illness as it was, um, and made a whole lot of mess of of I guess my youth um, initially. 
Uh, and then I hit about 18 and I started training. Um, and this is where I guess the, the two have kind of come hand in hand with me. What was the very reason that I became a trainer and, um, got into owning a gym and all of that sort of thing is because I was able to see the benefit of training for my own mental health. And that was the very reason that I stepped into it. And it was kind of funny because I went and did this PT course and we all had to sit around on the first day and they were like, you know, tell us why you want to be a personal trainer. And every single person when you went around the room was like, oh, I played sport as a kid. So, you know, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. (laughs) And I loved PE and like all of this sort of thing. And it came to me and I was like, oh, I hated PE in school and I never played a sport, but I found that it was, you know, I found this passion a bit later in my life, not really later, I was only 18 at this stage, but I hadn't been a kid who played sport um, and it was so beneficial to my mental health that I could see the, the potential need for that. The other thing that I could see is that a lot of trainers obviously don't get into the game for that reason. So there wasn't, there weren't trainers who were going forth with that intention of this is how we can apply exercise in a really positive way. In fact, what the experience that I had quite majorly in the mainstream in particular is that the health and fitness industry does a horrendous job of looking after people for the most part. Um, so yeah, that was kind of kind of how I how I got my foot in there um, and eventually obviously that that kind of like um, turned into a bit of advocacy and a bit of sharing my story and that sort of thing but yeah there was many many years of not liking myself very much um, many many years of being very aware of um, yeah there being times where I would have these really crashing lows and whole lot of talk therapy I really rate talk therapy I've done that god for probably close to 15 years now on and off um so that taught me some really amazing things about um you know figuring out what my morning signs were figuring out what some of my triggers were and that sort of thing developing some of those tools um even just being able to get used to saying things out loud obviously can be really really beneficial when you can put a word to how you can you can put a word or you can put a description to how you're feeling that gives you um i guess a lot of power as well yeah yeah for sure just um going back to say you were first diagnosed when you were 13 when did you sort of realize in yourself like wait a minute something's not quite right i really couldn't tell you i've actually lost huge chunks of my youth um I can't remember large chunks of it and I think part of that is trauma related part of that was a little bit of drug abuse and that sort of thing I I ever since I'm we um I was born in the UK we moved to New Zealand when I was 11 and as soon as I got here I could tell that I'd had I had a very very different life experience to a lot of the kids who I was going to school with. And I ended up in the UK for a while. We went to a school where um, where you would get quite a lot of refugees and immigrants, and I was one of the only white kids in school. So it was really, really culturally diverse, which was amazing. It was a really awesome thing about the school. 
um, but it was, I guess, in a slightly poorer area. And then we moved to New Zealand and I ended up in a school that was completely the opposite. Um, uh, you know, a much higher decile school. And I could tell from then that my life experience had been very different. And that's not to say, like, I, I come from a middle class um, family. So it's not to say that my um, family life had been like that. But my life experience had been so different. So I remember thinking from that point how different I was to a lot of the people who I was in school with. And that just continued throughout my school life. I was always probably... Um, you know, five years at least more mature and wiser. And when you feel like you're um, so different to your peers, I think that that can be one of those reasons why you start to disconnect a little bit. Um, and that can that can take all kinds of routes, perhaps into anxiety or into depression and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think from my experience, I, uh, connection is one of those things that's, I don't even think it's looked at enough when we're looking mm. at mental health. Uh, yeah. And not, not even just depression or mood disorders in general, like all mental health, I feel like they either have, uh, some of them do stem from a lack of connection or a loss of connection, but also some of them have that as a, a side effect of, like, for example, say someone with schizophrenia, one of the side effects is generally they end up, uh, isolating and they lose a lot of the connections they may have had beforehand. So totally. I think, I don't know how much you know about occupational therapy, but I know that one of the things that we look at a lot is that connection because we look at people's right. social environment as part of them as a whole. So that's awesome. something I'm I'm very aware of, but I still feel like it's it's something that not touched I mean, on all, enough. All, all professions can look at. It's, yeah, you know, not we're not exclusively holding a you know <laughs> gun gun to anyone's head over it, but it's something that even in my own personal experience, like I've, I think I mentioned to you the other day, like I've had uh, bouts of depression as well, and I found that, and I've never really been able to sort of pinpoint whether it's sort of chicken or the egg, but I found that during those periods when I am feeling really low, is when I am disconnected. And I don't know yeah. whether it's I got disconnected and then I started feeling low or I got disconnected because I started feeling low. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely, I feel like, a, a, a massive component to a lot of people's mental health or mental well-being, depending yeah. on which, which shoe you want to put on. <laughs> totally. So you got diagnosed now. Here's the question I like to ask people. So when you got your diagnosis, was it a relief or was it scary? Or do you not remember? I think it was just it is what it like it was what it was. Yeah. Um my I wasn't surprised, I wasn't um worried about it. Mm -hmm. I was quite pragmatic about it. Um my mum also has depression and has um been medicated for it for a very long time. So I suppose I understood that it's can often be hereditary, so I wasn't surprised to find that. I wasn't um, – I, I like to understand how things worked, so they gave me kind of a rundown at the doctor's office of, like, it's a chemical imbalance and that sort of thing, and, and that really resonated with me to a degree. Perhaps uh, I probably um, considered it to be too, too much science-related at the time, so I just saw it as – 
this is something that's funky that's happening in my brain and I probably didn't own the potential for me to have as much power over that as a 13-year-old as I ended up realizing as a 19, 20-year-old. I was just kind of like, this is who I am, cool, whatevs, take me or leave me type, type thing. Yeah. Did So you found that it, 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 well, by the sounds of it, it kind of shaped your personality at the time. You kind of just integrated it into who you were as opposed to seeing it as separate from you. Like that's the depression and this is me kind yeah. of Yeah, and I, and I would say that that got even worse the following year when I, when the, the friend or boyfriend of mine committed suicide, it, it definitely just became a part of my uh, identity because we. I think that that's something that, that um, is really important to me now in, in working with youths is that we, you know, between the ages of kind of like 13 to 17, we're really looking for who we are and sometimes mm. our mental illness can become that thing or that tragedy that happens to us throughout that time becomes that's that's who we are and this person that's been affected by this horrible thing and that's this and we build our yeah we build who we are around that um so I think yeah the following year it it was something that just was magnified so much more and I yeah built my entire self or my entire personality around this tragedy and also that I was this like naughty kid at school um, and then I just, you know, I just embodied that. I was like, this is who I am. I've got the, all these issues. That's that. I'm just going to, you know, what's the point? Why, why try in school? Why do any of this? Um, so I just, yeah, really like leaned in and became that person, unfortunately, for, yeah, a chunk of time. You say unfortunately, oh. but everything happens <laughs> for a reason. I do believe that too. Do you actually probably you will remember this, but what would you how would you describe what it actually feels like when you are say in the depths of a depression? Like nothing like nothing can ever be good. You know, like like you can't see the positive in anything. Everything everything that you've tried to do or you know as has become a failure for, and, and you're able to attribute every bad thing to something that you've created. I'm quite a self, um, destructive depressant. So it, it, it all becomes about how I failed at something or, um, how I'm just not good enough or I'm not ever going to be good enough at something. And when I'm in a really depressed, depressant stage, I can't see anything past that. It's the only thing that I can see. So it becomes very um, tunnel visioned towards like, this is exactly what life is like. I also am somebody who falls prey to black and white thinking. So I can only see um, the, the, this is, this is what we're at. I can't see that kind of like gray area in between. No, so it's sounds actually slightly, maybe slightly different to, my experience with it so the one thing i kind of really learned i guess from my initial experiences with it um is i i feel i go like numb like i don't feel anything and that was the biggest thing that i picked up on it's yeah okay things weren't 
or they felt you know a negative i probably wasn't as destructively negative as you describe um but my biggest thing was you know nothing would make me laugh nothing could make yeah. me even sad nothing i was just flat like just flat lined to the point where and i picked this up in hindsight i didn't actually realize this is what was happening at the time but to the point where i was starting to like i would understand what emotion i should give from an interaction yeah but because i didn't actually feel it i would just pretend (laughs) so you know it'd be like oh someone tells a joke oh i'll I'll i'm supposed to find that amusing yeah um but uh, i didn't realize it at the time like is this i sort of worked all that stuff out in height this looking at the sort of the first major episode i guess what you described before is it something that you're consciously aware of at the time to a degree but only as i've gotten older so i think i would say um in those first sort of five years and to be honest i i never gave myself enough um enough breathing space to really examine it. As soon as I felt rubbish, I was looking for advice. Um, so I went through pretty much everything, you know, between the ages of 13 and 18 or 13 and 20. Um, I started off as a really ho- heavy pot smoker, so I couldn't go to school if I hadn't had a session. Um, as I got a bit older, it was alcohol instead. I went through a series of boys. So boys are a fantastic distraction, but... I never tried that one. <laughs> not so much when you're when you're trying to um you know examine how you're actually feeling so i went through yeah initially it wasn't just mega distractions as much as i could i would distract myself from how i felt as i've gotten older i've i've learned how to sit with it and go i know that i i know why i'm feeling a bit rubbish or i know what's going on right now i can definitely relate to what you said about just not feeling anything i would say in the last um Four years, three years, that's kind of more the route that my depression has taken. Um, I get to do all kinds of really cool things, and quite often I am not ever excited about them. And I and, and I know that I should be, and it's funny that you said, I know you, you can identify the, the emotion that you should be feeling. Um, but, and people will ask me, oh, are you excited about this thing? Oh, that's going to be really cool. And you just have to kind of, you know, fake smile through it. Um but yeah, it's it's a it's an awareness that I developed better and better over time. But initially, absolutely not. And and you just don't as a teenager, you just don't have the emotional maturity to really be aware of of any of the things that you're feeling, especially not something um, as fully encompassing as like as depression. Hmm. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. See, I didn't really. I. I tried to sort of think back and think like how how long has it been around because I didn't really have my first sort of major issue with it until I think I was almost 30, if that, maybe, just just before 30. Um, And I remember it at the time like thinking back like is this something I just haven't noticed that's been happening my whole life? But I I haven't been able to pinpoint anything earlier, but I think – that pretty much exactly what you just said like i was emotionally anyway fully developed by that stage so i had once i'd realized what was going on 
I had a full array of skills and plus I'd worked in mental health for however long by that stage. I had a full <laughs> array of skills that I could then use to look at the situation and I guess analyze things and work out exactly where I was at and what was going on and what I could do about it. Um, yeah. Where I can't even imagine I, I've never worked uh, with sort of under 18s either. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine what it's like going through what I had experienced, but without the skill set and the emotional maturity that I had at that time. Not that I'm particularly mature, but <laughs> I'm a lot more mature than I was at 13 anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that, I suppose that's where the, the interest falls for me is that I can, I can um, see how important that phase is in so many young people's lives and then how much harder it's made by um, trauma, by mental illness. And I, and I just think it's so important that we look after our young people, I suppose, or that, we, that there's, there's systems in place that specifically um, cater for kids going through that development stage in their lives. Um, and the thing that's really unfortunate and it's 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 amazing, you know. You talk about hindsight, and it's amazing how much you can um, see in hindsight. But it's taken nearly fifteen years for me to look back and go, actually, there were some people, particularly in my school, who really failed me at that stage. Um, and for a long time, like I said, I just kind of embodied this personality that it was my that was on me. Yeah. I was this really bad student. I was this bad girl. I, you know, my brain or my temperament was all over the place and that was on me as opposed to actually I was going through something really hard as a, as a young person who didn't have the tools to manage it and I also didn't have the support network to manage it. So I have an amazing family support network, um, but at school they just had no idea what to do. And I've done a little bit of work now with some workshops um, and sometimes we – it's a real mixed bag, some of the kids that we get through, but some of the kids do have um, some really nasty things that have happened in their lives. They have had, they do have um, mental illness. And it's scary to see that the schools are still responding in a similar way as when I was at school. Um, you know, these kids are being punished a lot of the time because they're acting out, they're acting out in class. Um, because they are not engaged, because they're whatever. And then you sit down and have a conversation with them and you find out, you know, that what's happening on at home or what's going on in their heads or how they're feeling. And you're like, how on earth do you expect them to sit in class and, and listen to you when they, they don't even feel safe, they don't even feel happy with them themselves, they, don't, they can't see their own self-worth? Um, that's something that, yeah, is very that's very dear to my heart, I suppose, or something that I'm really passionate about. And I think it's so incredibly important because it is a make or break moment. And some people will look at me and they'll go, oh, well, you still figured it out and you still ended up, you know, going and doing something with your successful with your life. But that's, I'm an exception. You know, I'm not the rule. Um, and that was, part of that was luck. And part of that was like having parents that, no matter how many destructive things that I did and how much damage and, and, and money I cost them that they never gave up. Um, and unfortunately, not everybody has that. So it's, 
yeah, it's both terrifying to me, but also I think having had this experience and having had come out the other side, I had this like really um, unique power, I suppose, to to help to contribute to some of the workshops that do exist because a lot of the time they're created by these like very well-meaning um, middle-class white ladies who really care about people, they really do, but they're too much like the school system in the way that they run them. So they, you know, they sit people down and, and they try to, you know, the, the, the content they're going through is awesome and it's really um, inspirational, but they're sitting them down in like classroom type settings being like, you're going to listen to us and these are the rules and blah, blah, blah. And these kids are like, mm. <laughs> stay away from me. Um, so I think, yeah, I can, I can see that I've got this quite unique perspective and that I was there, I went through this really tough thing, I'm able to see it from the outside perspective as well as having had that lived experience. Um, so now it's, now I kind of have, feel like I have this calling to go and do something. So what, what role did, well, just say strength sports in general play in your, in your personal recovery? that's led you to now taking on these, as you describe it, your calling? I, any, anything that's difficult to overcome teaches you how much, how, how capable you are. So that, and that can come in so many different forms. So I'm really weary of, of um, telling the story that, that says the only way that you're going to find something is from exercise because I think sometimes we can put too much onus on one thing or too much power in one thing. I think the important thing is when you overcome something that you don't think that you could do, then you're, then you feel proud of yourself and pride is the opposite of shame and all of those other horrible destructive feelings that, that kind of get us stuck in that one place. So it could be anything. The first thing that I ever did actually was give up drinking for three months to get ready for a boxing fight. So I did that at like 18. And I didn't even do the boxing fight in the end. But giving up drinking for three months when like I was a like Wednesday through to Sunday night drinker, um, I basically lost lost the majority of my friends that I had at the time, was able to have this like huge wake-up call of like, yo, so many of my problems are actually related to alcohol and not you know, and not specifically me. Mm. Um, and I felt like a superhero, like having done something that I, you know, perceived as so difficult. And some people will listen to this and be like, you're 18, you gave up drinking for three months. But at the time, that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And, and I felt like a complete badass having done it. And then I just realized, okay, every time I eye up something that seems really hard and I make and I make my way through it and I overcome it then I it just keeps building on that belief that I have in myself and this is the biggest thing I think that anybody with any kind of mental illness has is they just need to believe in themselves a little bit more and they just need to find reasons to be proud of themselves and so strength sports is just is is one of those examples and the thing that I love about strength sports is it's really concrete obvious results you can either squat 100 kgs, you can't squat 100 kgs. It doesn't matter if you turn up feeling rubbish or whatever, 
you know, your body can do it or not. Obviously, there is a, to a degree, there are uh, mental aspects that mean that you can lift more or, or that sort of thing. But it's really hard evidence. Um, and I, that's just something that I really enjoyed. And it was kind of interesting because I found strength sports after I'd gone through a phase with bodybuilding. And this is kind of... Seems very, um, that seems very common for females. <laughs> especially broken ones. Especially... <laughs> Especially broken ones, which is terrifying. This is another thing that I'm that I'm you know quite passionate about is that uh, particularly for a phase of about five years, I think bikini athletes and the bodybuilding scene became so popular and so plastered everywhere, and the the pinnacle of fitness, you know, it sucked a whole lot of different people into that. And if you were somebody who was looking for something to make you feel better who is looking for an identity because you don't really know who you are. And it's really easy to see the glitz and glam of bikini and, and bigger athletes and things like that and think that looks like these girls look so confident and they're strong and they're this and they're that. So this was actually a bit of a hiccup in my, I guess, recovery to some degree. And I think that's a really important thing for people to know is that it's not, it's never linear. So I went through a really rubbish period as a teenager but between the ages of even sort of like 20 to now, there's still been times where I've had these like huge mess ups and, 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 you know, taken five steps back and had to go, whoa, hang on, how did we end up here? I thought I was, you know, quote, recovered or whatever. And you never, you know, you're never going to get to a point where things are fantastic. So yeah, I, I got into bodybuilding. I, for the first time in my entire life, started having body, um, Image issue, body image issues, started having a really, really poor relationship with food. Like I'm a girl who'd like been naturally small my entire life, had eaten whatever I wanted, and then all of a sudden there was massive restrictions. I had some a couple of really bad coaches um, who, uh, you know, blew all the smoke up my ass and said, "You're going to be amazing, and you've got these fantastic genetics, and you could go international and and all of this." And I was only 19 at the time um, and then when I started having issues with um, cutting getting Lena to get ready for the shows um, I basically got dropped by one of my coaches he said you're you're not doing good enough it was six weeks out from a show he's like you're taking the piss um, I'm not training anymore um, and I'm and that should have been the that should have been the moment in time where I went no this isn't for me but unfortunately, I was in such a terrible place, and I'd, I'd create again. I'd created my identity around the fact that I was going to be this brilliant figure athlete. So I found another coach. He wasn't as nasty, but he also was was not prepared for the fact that I was somebody who who had a lot of um, history of mental illness. Um, wasn't prepared for the fact that you know it, there was so much more to it than just do these two things for me and we'll be fine. Uh, so I got ready for stage. Afterwards, I spent an entire week in bed eating everything that I could get my hands on. I blew up by about 10 kgs. I couldn't leave the house. I didn't want to go to work. Um, I had this, yeah, this epic crash. Again, still didn't quite attribute it to bodybuilding, so I went on to then prep under somebody else for another three or four months. But luckily, within that time, I'd met a powerlifting coach. and. I just started doing a little bit of powerlifting at that point. 
alongside prepping for this other show and the bodybuilding coach had gone, look, we need you to stop training legs because you're getting too out of proportion. And at that point, I was like, nah, bodybuilding's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, but it took, you know, it took 18 months of me like butting my head against the wall doing this thing that really didn't suit who I was. But I was so convinced, you know, I'd, I'd created this personality and this persona around I was going to be this person. And I was so stubborn and so determined. And because I'd been, to some degree, that stubbornness and determinism had come off of overcoming this other life that I'd had. So I was like, man, I've overcome this really hard thing and everyone's telling me how amazing I am now and I'm going to do this thing. And you almost, you don't want to quit anything at that point because you've built who you are around the fact that you are somebody who didn't give up and that you sorted your life out and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's almost as damaging, you know, as as being that, you know, girl who didn't really even know who she was and who was ping-ponging all over the place. Instead, I'd become somebody who was incredibly narrow-minded to the point that it was really damaging. So that was a really, a really good wake-up call. And I think but it's probably something that's really, really common in anyone who has um, overcome some trauma, overcome a mental health or whatever, that they become st- so determined that sometimes they don't know when to give up on things that are actually not working. So that was that was a really good wake-up call. I've had a few different things throughout. Um, particularly with my job. So I'm t- the type of person who when I do something, I do put everything into it and I will refuse to give up even when it's not a good thing. Um, so that's been a learning curve that I've picked up over the last three or four years. Sometimes it's not working and there's nothing wrong with going, oops, that didn't work <laughs> and taking a step to the side or backwards or or whatever. Um, but yeah, so powerlifting, powerlifting definitely shook me out of where I was with bodybuilding, but it actually didn't take long for powerlifting to just become the replacement. So it was actually 2016. I think I ended up competing four times. I was, I was quite badly injured the whole time. I had a, I was having a lot of issues with a labral tear and I didn't, I didn't have enough time in between comps to properly rehab it, but I was just like, must do the next thing, must do the next thing. Everyone, it's the same thing. Everyone was like, wow, who's this new girl who's really strong and she's going to be so, so great. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to be so great. Um, and that's everything you want to hear as somebody who didn't, yeah. doesn't have much value of their, of themselves. Um, so I blasted through and I had, I had a lot of fun, but the training a lot of the time was miserable. I was really anxious a lot of the time. Um, I was doing a lot of, comp- like I would compare myself constantly on social media to other people. And then I realized, yeah, at the end of 2016, I was like, oh, this is not it. You know, like I've, I enjoy this style of training. I love training for performance. I love learning new things. I love being strong. It makes me feel like a badass. But I have to notice that I have that type of personality that um, hinges who they are too much on on being a certain person that I have to be really careful about what I kind of like throw myself into. And ever since then, I've taken my um, training and my competing a lot more casually. Um, Part of that is um, because I just got so busy with work. So opening the gym and that sort of thing just meant 
you know, consistent training, nope. <laughs> um, but the other thing was I just, I just knew that I wanted to make sure that I was having fun with it. So that's where I started playing around with strongman, with Olympic weightlifting. Um, I get involved with some like fun obstacle course run things and those kinds of like little challenges. I'd love to get back into a martial art. I did end up doing a kickboxing fight before I got into powerlifting. I remember so saying <laughs> Um So now, now I, now I, um, now I have a much better relationship with with competing and with um, that sort of thing. And it, and and at the same time, you know, I can I can look at somebody who is a very dedicated athlete, and I can um, honor that, and I can really respect that. But I just know that it's not the type of person that that suits um, that's, that I'm suited to be. It's it's interesting when you're um, essentially what describing your sort of relationship with it and how you kind of latch on and find it or used to find it difficult to sort of let go and I guess see the broader picture that's going yeah. on around it. Because one of the things that I did a fair bit of work with some of the guys that I used to work with around was I guess this theory that a lot of uh, a lot of mental health care for the last decade has been, I feel, too strongly focused on building routine and building habits. And I'm not right. saying that's a bad thing. Yeah, but, but it has its it has its flip side. Exactly. What you'd find yeah. is that, yep, okay, people got really good at sticking to whatever routine that you built for with them or them, whatever, however it came about. But then the slightest little deviation from that and the wheels fall off. Yeah. So my, I guess, alternate perspective was that we should be almost not training people. I, I, I make so many correlations between my work and, and training, strength training, but not necessarily training people to just do these things. So I picture this like if you powerlifting, if you just train to do squat, you just train to do bench, you just train to do deads. The moment you go to do something else, you're going to break, yes, you're going to tear a muscle or something. You're going to break. Whereas if we almost train people to adapt. Yeah. So train people to deal with change. Train, train people to change in any form. Tiny or massive change has this inherent uncomfortableness that comes with it mm -hmm. as one thing there's a whole range of things but one of the things is this uncomfortableness and a lot of people avoid it because it's uncomfortable <laughs> where and they're just not exposed to it but one of the things that I used to try and do with the guys that I worked with was in the process of trying to I guess train them to be more adaptable was sitting with that uncomfortableness and realizing it's it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not going to harm you. It doesn't last forever. Chances are, if you think about it, you know when it's going to stop. And you can just get used to, it's like almost exposure therapy. You just get used to sitting with that uncomfortableness yeah. totally. for a short period to start with and then slightly longer, slightly longer, slightly longer. And through that, you get, people get, I guess, accustomed to that feeling or that process of change so that when 
unpredictable change happens like it does in all of our lives. You know, you go, yeah. to, go to work and the car won't start. It's not the end of the world. Like, yes, there's stuff that needs to happen before you can go to work, but you are now at least emotionally equipped to deal with that challenge and yeah. not have it ruin your whole day. Like, Absolutely. Like, like I was finding was happening with people that had this sole focus on routine, routine, routine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming, judging by all the yaps and the nods, that you can relate I, to I have never, this. I've never um, had somebody um, label it like that, I suppose, but it's so incredibly true. And, and that's the thing that you, I've learned the latest portion of my growth um, <laughs> with owning a business and more recently becoming a mum is, yeah, you can't plan for everything. And when you, and 100% when you ask somebody who's built this really strict regime on as long as I do all of these things, I'm a perfectly functioning human being and then somebody pulls the rug out from underneath you and all of a sudden you can't even get up and get dressed and I think you're 100% right in that so much of our so much of of especially the stuff that gets touted on on social media and I don't know how much that that frustrates people who actually work work within the mental health scene um a lot there's there's two sides I think it's amazing that people are talking about it more and we're trying to remove the stigma and blah, 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 blah. But I think that you also get all of this generalized advice. You have some morons who think that they need to give people advice and they probably shouldn't and they need to learn when to sit down and, and be quiet. Um, but, yeah, there's there's so many things that you do see and people don't understand that there's, there's always an, another side to the coin and, and there's also obviously like huge ranges of need and severity of mental well-being. So some people do just need a slightly better routine, and that's great. And then some people need so much more, and 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 really should be reaching out and, and getting some extra help. So it's really it's just an, yeah, it's a really interesting way to to put it, and it's 100% something that I've learned. I you know built myself up as somebody who. Um, yeah, was able to find all these tools, but you're always going to reach a point in life where those tools either become obsolete or you can't depend on them and you need to have another or you, you need to have more things in your toolbox, basically. Having a child is the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate, um, you know, change in routine or just like complete chaos, like from one, just complete loss of routine, um, from one week or one day to the next, it can look completely different. And it was pretty funny because for a while I'd become known as this person pre-baby, become known as this person who was addicted to Google Calendar. So I would have like everything perfectly slotted into my Google Calendar by half an hour slots. I'd even slot in like, go and get gas to your car like because I'm because of the nature of my job there's so many different random things I have to do that I would forget basic tasks like that I'm the I am the biggest child with a business than you've ever seen like I cannot my practical skills my practical skills are horrendous I'm glad you can't see my house at the moment but 
you know, I was that person who like perfectly slotted everything in and that's how I made my life work. And I had this one system and it was great. And then either one, you have a day where you just can't do anything. And I still have days occasionally like that where my brain says, no, I don't want to do any of it. Or you have a baby and the baby goes, no, today is going to be a completely different day. And you can't plan any of it. And so I think, yeah, what you're saying around teaching people to adapt and teaching people to adapt and assess situations like on the fly on a regular basis is so incredibly important. And I, yeah. I, I think the one thing I think it's really important that people need to get their head around is that quite often they feel like that being free and adaptable uh, is a passive thing. Like you just let go of control and then you're all of a sudden adaptive when it's quite the opposite. You, and this is why I think the, the strength training metaphor kind of works really well. Like if you just train squat, bench and deadlift, you get really good at squat, bench and deadlift, nothing else. If you train say for performance, like you were saying before, you get good at a range of things and you can probably even do some things you've never done before better than you would normally. Like it's a, very generalized uh, attribute that gets spread across your whole life. Same thing, but you, but you need to train it. And I think that's yeah. the same thing with adaptability is you need to train adaptability. Just letting go of, I guess, letting go of the rain. So like you, if you just let go of your Google Calendar, that doesn't mean that you'd automatically be, okay, yep, I'm free now. I can do what I want and I'm just going like, <laughs> to some work like that. Like you no. have to actually, it's a conscious effort to train that adaptability and your ability to, or your resilience, almost your your yeah. emotional resilience and your mental resilience to be able to manage that. For you, especially at the moment, constant change. Like you're just yeah. in this constant state of flux, and I. I don't, yeah, I just don't want people to get into this. Like, I feel like a lot of people would think that's more of a, just a passive, like letting go of control thing. When it's yeah. not, it's just no. training something else. Yeah. To be able to you, do that, you just. I think one of the best things that I learned, particularly in opening the gym, is that um, that decision between if you're going to stress about something or if you're going to solve something. Or again, the difference between reacting and responding. And I think that's one of the best things that I've learned. I I came to accept that on a day-to-day basis, I'm going to be faced with, particularly when you're doing something crazy like opening a gym. And you, I was managing the fit out and, and managing tradies, the council, building inspectors, all these different people who have their own completely different agendas and timelines and whatnot. And you know on a day-to-day basis that something is going to go wrong, basically. And so I, it was my, it was like this thrust into this really uncomfortable, stressful, horrible environment. And I, and I battled through it and had a terrible time for a few months until I just came to this realization where you, every time you're faced with something like this, you, you have two options. You can stress about it or you can look for the next solution. And, and like you said, like you have to train adaptability. That was my, that was my, um, quick thrust into learning it. And I have, 
built on that more and more and more ever since. So I did feel I did feel within the first sort of like four to six weeks of of having my son, oh my god, how am I ever going to have a life again, or how am I ever going to work to the degree that I want to? Um, but you, when you get to the point where you're like, do you know what? This is just a learned thing. I have every opportunity to learn how to face each of these little hurdles throughout my day if I if I open myself and, and bring this willingness to it. And that's the number one thing is that people are so um, resistant. Instead of going, okay, I have like an array of different things that I am managing at the moment and I'm struggling with these things and and they're so much more likely to, to, to push against it and go, no, but I need it to go like this, or no, it's supposed to be like this, instead of going, do you know what, this is the situation that I'm managing, and this is how I can adapt and work it in and figure out ways to make it work. And some of that might be offloading some of it because people don't realize that they have taken on too much or it's not working or they're not actually enjoying what they're doing. Um, but having that, that willingness to actually assess and, and look for solutions is something that we need to be taught a lot more, I think, instead of being able to describe the things that we don't like and then it kind of ends there. I couldn't agree more. That's one of my, I was going to say pet peeves, but probably more a, a soapbox that uh, I regularly stand on is like, don't just bring me a problem. Bring me a solution and then we'll work through that. Like, whether or not it is the final solution that ends up playing out, who knows, but we need somewhere to start. I wonder, you know, I wonder how much social media has turned everyone into complainers, though, as well. Like, it's almost, and I actually had this conversation with this group of girls um, at this workshop uh, last week. What day am I on? Yeah, last week. And it's become so, and I, to a certain degree, that's a youth thing. Like, youths are like, I don't care about anything. It's not cool to be excited about anything. Everything sucks, whatever. But it's almost something that, like, gets drawn out so much longer because it's funny to see memes or whatever whining about things, and we are so much more likely to post all this, you know, mundane whining about stuff that I don't know if it then becomes just kind of like part of who we are, that we're so much more likely to complain and whine about something than we are to go, hey, this is this thing that I that is actually going quite well. And that's boring. Nobody's going to go, oh, my day actually went fine. Instead, no. <laughs> instead they're going to rattle off all the rubbish things that happened. And I actually had this conversation uh, with someone the other day that, uh, the way I see it, and I've read that other people have seen it as well, is that the current generation, where they gain their social capital has changed from my generation anyway. I'm a bit older than you. Um, so it used to be like, you know, such and such achieved this great thing. Like, he's awesome. You know, you used to see it. You still see it in movies like the jocks. They, they yeah. win the sports things and they're the heroes of the school kind of thing. Whereas now... Social capital's changed in a way that people are getting social more of their social capital from rather than achieving things than f- by tearing it's kind of like tall poppy syndrome by tearing other people's achievements down. Yeah. So it then becomes this thing where who's I don't and I hate using this phrase, but 
who's the biggest victim gets the most attention. And that's the way social yeah. media works. If you've yeah. had a shit day, you can you can look on a lot of people's feeds. If you've had a shit day and you post something, you know, vague and dark and mysterious about having a shit day, people start, oh, how are you going? Are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. You get a lot more attention than, like you said, oh, I had a great day. That was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a, there's another thing as well that people, it's become... I don't know what it is, Why, whether it's like we're obsessed with being humble or we're obsessed with like not touting, you know, not blowing our own trumpets basically, but it's become like there's something wrong with like celebrating being good at something or about telling people about an achievement or, you know, like it even, it even goes as far as um, – you know, how, how some people are shamed for putting up like photos of themselves and, and things like that. You're like, here we are on one end of the spectrum where people are speaking out about mental health. Self care has become like this trendy freaking hashtag. And we're all like, you know, look after one another, be kind to one another, reach out, talk. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we're like, oh, but you know, like, don't don't find yourself too attractive. Like, you know, don't don't be too showy. Don't post too much of this. Don't do that. Like, where where am I supposed to fit in here? Like, we're it, it's becoming so hard to um to know what the the socially accepted thing to do is. Um, but yeah, so much of it stems off of social media. It's crazy. And I actually have had a conversation um with a guy who works in the mental health. Uh, spectrum in, in New Zealand and he thinks that so much of our mental health mm-hmm. issues are based on social media and even just smartphones because we are now not going to sleep mm-hmm. so we're up until stupid particularly our youth is up until stupid hours scrolling on their phones not getting enough sleep and so much of our mental mental health issues are just based around you're not getting enough sleep it's massive. The, the change that smartphones in particular have brought on, and I say this generation, but not just the younger generation, but this everyone at the moment who's now, like I guess the smartphone generation, uh, you know, we now are constantly connected. We now have more apps than we know what to do with. We are yeah. like, why do we need more than say one social media like <laughs> well we do we've got you know yeah. there's five when or six yeah like yeah. What, what's the and point what's the need for it generally most people are probably connected with the same people on all of them <laughs> uh, like yeah, there's more options yeah more time spent scrolling more, yeah exactly more time spent staring at your screen and i'm the worst for that i you talking about people staying up all night scrolling that's me, uh, <laughs> and I am very aware of it, and I do put measures in place to try and minimize it, but again, I am the worst at it, but at least I'm aware of it. That's a start <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, but yeah, it's had a massive impact. Now, I'm wary of time. I know you have to take off, so I just want to say thank you for coming and having a chat. It's been amazing. It's been very insightful. Um 
Just one thing to finish off. If there's one thing you would like health professionals to know or take into account with regards to, say, working with someone with depression, what do you think would you, well, what would you want them to know? Um, I think every step should be about empowerment. I think that we need to keep putting the power in people's hands. And so instead of making things easier necessarily, I think, and even potentially some people don't, aren't prepared to, to do that, but I think it's all about empowering people, making them feel more independent, giving them options to, to take on things that are sort of difficult, giving them real responsibility and coming out the other end of that and being proud of themselves. I think pride and whatever we can do to to increase people's self worth, self not self worth even their self belief. Whatever we can do to increase people's self belief is the biggest one. Love it, love it. Uh, <laughs> if people wanted to see you or the gym, or if they're in New Zealand, come and see the gym in person. Like, where can people yeah. find you online? Shout out whatever you want. The bestest way to find me is on Instagram, which is Kira is Unbreakable, and then our gym page is Unbreakable Training. So you can come and have a look at either of those pages. Sweet, and I'll throw some links in the show notes so people can find them nice and easily. Beautiful. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kira. It's, yeah, it's been a blast. No problem. 